It is a joy for me to be here this morning. I'm not quite sure uh, the honor why I get to kick off the series on wisdom. I have a suspicion, though. Uh, I have a birthday in my house today, so I have another teenager in my house today. For those of you counting, that makes four teenagers in my house. So my, quit, my level of wisdom is quickly declining. Um, and so I figure I better get it out here while I still have it, right? Um, Listen, we're starting a new series. We're excited about this series. Um, as you know, our church is a fairly young church. It's a fairly green church. Um, and so we wanted to spend some time in, in wisdom. What does it look like to, be, to live lives that reflect godly wisdom? This is where we're going to be uh, for the bulk of the summer. We're going we're to do this for four or five weeks. Uh, you'll hear from some different folks and different passages. We're starting today in Proverbs 1. I find it... Um, Interesting that today's Father's Day, too, and we're kicking off a series on wisdom. Um, how many of you, some of you, I'm sure, um, remember some of your father's bits of wisdom? Uh, or maybe it's wisdom from your father. Um, uh, there are several bits of wisdom that I remember uh, from my father. Things like, uh, don't get the cart before the horse, right? Have I heard that before? We don't use carts and horses really anymore, but for some reason that was a saying, um, uh, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah, I think I may have said that to my kids once. I'm not sure I still understand that. Um, my father, uh, we got to do a lot of um, like building trips. We'd go work, uh, kind of construction and different things. And so he would say things like measure twice and cut once, which I'm good with, right? You got to measure it twice, make sure you get it right, and then cut it once because you can't really cut it twice. Um, except my dad was one of the guys who would, he would measure it, he'd measure it again, he'd measure it one more time just to make sure he'd go to the saw and he'd forget. And so he'd have to go measure it a third time. We'd go to the saw and we'd go to cut it and then the saw wouldn't be plugged in. So we'd plug in the saw and we'd have to go measure it again because we forgot yet a second time. The measure twice thing I get, the measure eight times, that's a little bit different, I think. Uh, fatherly wisdom, I suppose. Don't cut your hand off. I, I get that, right? We use nail guns, right? So uh, make sure you don't nail your hand. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate that. It's very wise, very wise wisdom. I ask, I ask some of the folks in our neighborhood group, uh, so what wisdom do you get? Or what do you remember from your fathers? And I got some interesting ones. Some are in Spanish that I couldn't repeat because I don't speak Spanish. But um, uh, don't settle for good when God wants what's best for you. Wise words. Uh, your lack of planning doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. <laughs> I'm thinking of those late night projects that are due the next day and the game's on. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, and then this one I thought was very, very interesting. You get out what you put in. There's some, there's some meat in that. Of course, there's also some cooking. You get out what you put in, right? That, the point of cooking is to put something to get something out that tastes better than what you put in. I don't know the collective whole there, but fatherly wisdom. But fortunately for us, that's not all that we have, right? So we don't have uh, to live our lives solely on the wisdom of our earthly fathers. Um, and, and I love my dad dearly. I'm very, very grateful for who my father is and for all that he taught me. Um, but I, 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 were I left to that of my own devices, I think, I think we would be in a much different place, right? We need the wisdom of God. And that's where we're going this morning. Gospel wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Um, I, want you to, 
I want, I want us to read Proverbs 1, 1 through 9 one more time. But as we read this, I want you to listen for the words wisdom. I want you to listen for the word uh, wise. How many times we mention this? Um, this section of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, you get the title and then you get the purpose. So why is Solomon writing this? This is those, those four or five verses. Why is he writing this? And then you get the motto. When we get to verse seven, we're just gonna, we're gonna stop at verse seven at this point. But when we hit verse seven, verse seven is kind of the motto or the theme of the whole book of Proverbs. So here we get the reason, we get the why, and we get the theme. All right, so let's read, if you will, Proverbs chapter one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. What are the purposes? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's your motto. Here's your theme for the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your necks. Wisdom. There's something about wisdom that's to be desired, to be pursued. Before we move on, though, it's, it's possible for us to hear the same word and have a different understanding of what that word means, right? I mean, think of the word clean, right? Clean. Uh, to me, it means one thing. To my mother, it meant a complete different thing, right? <laughs> clean your room. It is clean. It's not clean. It is clean. Um, so words can mean different things. So let's, let's reorient ourselves to what we mean when we say wisdom. The word wisdom literally means here in the Old Testament, literally, literally means, and this took me back a little bit, a skill. Wisdom is a skill. It's an acquired skill. It is a, um, a technical skill. It's experience. So wisdom is, is this skill of how to do something. And in the book of Proverbs, specifically, wisdom is the skill of how to live a successful or a godly life. That's where we're going. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to learn about, wisdom. How do we live, how do we gain that skill to live a successful or a godly life? Wisdom is connected with uh, a knowledge, right? If you read through there, you, you see wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Um, wisdom is the application of knowledge. So I'm, I'm a visual kind of guy, and so I always have to see different things. This, the idea is... Um, Knowledge is uh, pieces of information. It's, it's our understanding of how things work. Wisdom is what we do with that. For example, so I've got um, literally a bag of bricks. Um, and my, my picture is, you know, these bricks are just pieces of knowledge, right? Things that you know, things that you understand, things that you know. I know certain things about uh, the way kids react. I know certain things about um, what the law says, or I know certain things about what the Bible says. Um, these are pieces of knowledge. But what I do with them uh, is wisdom. I'm not a bricklayer um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that if I stack these things up, you know, I can build a wall 
I can build a foundation. If I leave two like that, wait a second, that doesn't stay. Wait, I do know that because of what my dad taught me in physics and inertia that I can put one on top of that and it should stay, right? So knowledge, the pieces of information, the bricks of what we understand about the world, understanding pieces, pieces, little pieces, right? But what we do with that, how we use the knowledge and understanding we have is our wisdom. You with me? Right, the skill of how to live a godly wife, or life. That's Proverbs 31, we'll get there, the godly wife. Um, I think that's you, Lance, isn't it? All right. Um, so from this passage, we're going to notice a couple things about wisdom. Number one, uh, we're going to notice that wisdom can be learned. Wisdom can be learned. This is not one of those things where it's like um, some of you just have a talent for a certain athletic talent. Or some of you have a certain talent in working with uh, children or with compassion. This is not one of those things. Wisdom is not something that you have or you don't. Wisdom is something that you can be learned, that, that can be learned. You can strive to, matter of fact, flip over to Proverbs chapter two. Just flip the page. Proverbs chapter two tells us, verse two to four, listen to what they say. It says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Like make attentive, incline your heart. Go seek this. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasure. There's a, there's a calling to us to go and seek wisdom. You don't get a pass just because you think God like left you out when he was passing out wisdom, right? You, we all get to seek it. This is not something that you have or you don't. We seek wisdom. Back in Proverbs 1, you remember he said one of the purposes, right? To give prudence to the simple. The idea of the simple is the naive, the young, people without experience, the green. Like if you're green in, an, in a skill, right? Part of this book, this textbook of wisdom is to give knowledge to people who don't have it. To the young, right? In verse 4, knowledge and discretion to the youth. But then also look at what it says in verse 5. Let those who are already wise increase in understanding. This wisdom is not just for one segment of us. It's for all of us. Wisdom can be learned. We have an obligation to grow and seek and learn how do we live a godly life. That's all of us. Wisdom can be learned. How do we go? This is, um, there's no exceptions. Wisdom can be learned. Wisdom involves discipline. Uh, that word for instruction Verse two, to know wisdom and instruction. That word instruction literally is discipline. It is um, correction and it is chastisement, right? Which as a father, I go, ah, right, this, is, this is the part of fatherhood that, that really um, we don't get super excited about. But if I go off course, if I'm, if I'm headed a wrong direction, I want someone to come and instruct me and pull me back onto course. Wisdom involves us understanding that we don't have all the right answers, that we may need people in our lives, we do need people in our lives to pull us back on course. So we don't, we don't like that, do we? Not all the time. Several weeks ago, um, we were here in church setting up 
And I remember Eddie Crucial comes up to me one, that, that morning after we finished up and goes, hey, um, I, you seem kind of upset with your kids. Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate that, you know? <laughs> you know? And so I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm upset with my kids. And then I started thinking about it. Started watching, kind of thinking back to the way I'd interacted with my son earlier that morning, just thinking about where my mind was, where my heart was. Uh, I was like, he's right. Like, I really was kind of upset with my kids. So that afternoon, we had, to, we had to kind of have a conversation with my kids. I'm sorry, guys. I had to call Eddie back. I'd say, Eddie, thanks, man. Actually, I think you called me about something else. And it was like, hey, thanks for calling me back. Hey, thanks for correcting me, for course correcting me that morning, for helping me draw my heart back to that direction. We don't like it. But true wisdom is not gained when we already have all the answers. True wisdom comes when you got people around you, when you're seeking people to help course correct you, to help redirect you to that standard. It's wisdom. Wisdom involves discipline. We don't like it, but it's necessary. Proverbs 28, 26. Um, for some reason, you know, Proverbs, Proverbs is a little like ADD in that like, you bounce around a lot. You go from topic to topic to topic. And you come back to another topic. And you come back to another topic. So as we're studying Proverbs, you end up bouncing around a lot. And as I bounced around, one of the verses that I absolutely adore, uh, and I may put it on the wall in my office, I'm still working on this, is Proverbs 28, 26, which says this. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. It's... Uh, this idea of who do, we, who do we trust in, right? Are we trusting our own mind, our own self? Um, Proverbs compares and contrasts a lot. Like wise, what does wise, what does wisdom look like? What does foolishness look like? A lot of times we think wisdom and we think our own, like, man, that guy's really smart. That guy must be wise. Um, and that's not necessarily the same thing. Uh, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Wisdom involves discipline. It's not just you. It's not just what you have. Uh, we need people around us to help course correct us. We can rely on more than just our own mind, what's going on in there. With that necessarily comes the idea that wisdom is humble. Wisdom is humble. Wisdom can be learned. Wisdom involves discipline. And wisdom is humble. We don't have all the answers so, matter of fact, the moment we think we're wise, uh, we're not, right? Remember that verse, verse, verse four, five? Verse five, let the wise hear and increase in, in understanding. Wisdom is humble. You don't have all the answers. You can't do it all. Um, that word fool, incidentally, um, means uh, foolish, obviously, uh, um, a stupid fellow. It's kind of the way it was defined. And then also, I thought this was fascinating to me, dullard. We don't use that word much. Dullard, say it with me. It actually is really fun to say. Dullard is really fun. But then I got to thinking, when we think of people who are wise, we often say they are sharp, right? That guy's really sharp. Well, the opposite of sharp is what? Dull. Like a duller, right? So wisdom, foolish, you see that kind of idea? Wisdom is humble, right? The idea of, of you can't trust in your own mind. You don't have all the answers. We need people around us to help us. We see this in the New Testament, Romans 12. 
Romans 12, Paul writes, never be wise in your own eyes. Which, you know, Paul, that's really wise. <laughs> I don't think Paul could think it was wise, but we can, right? Never be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom is humble. There's a, there's a necessity, the idea that we don't have it all. We can't rely completely on ourselves. Okay, so I've wrestled with this decision all week. Okay, the idea, we're talking about wisdom. In my sermon on wisdom, I've got to actually make wise decisions. Okay, and this is one that may not be wise. There's a popular song today that every time it comes up, I think of, I think this is just not wise. We're teaching people something that's just like this humility, it's not there. This is the opposite of that. This is very, uh, very prideful, very wise. It's like, but it just, it's a good song. Like it, the beat is good. It's just like, it's infectious, right? And so I want to play a, 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 just a hint of this song for you. But I've got to tell you, um, it's going to stick with you, unfortunately. Um, but what I want you to do is anytime you hear this now and going forward, I want you to think humility, wisdom, like it just, just, just can't, it doesn't work this way, right? So here's, let's see how this works. Um, and then I pray for your forgiveness. Um, but it's Billy Ray. I, anyway, sorry. Uh, oh no, I'm not connected. You see what I'm saying? Can't nobody tell me nothing? That's kind of the opposite of wisdom here. The opposite of humility. The idea that I got it figured out. Can't, you can't tell me nothing, right? I pray that every time you hear that just infectious little beat, I, yeah, I, we'll get back to this a little later, but um, the idea of wisdom is not that. Okay, wisdom is not the idea that we got it figured out. We don't need to hear from anyone around us. There's an inherent humility when we seek the Lord. When we, when we, there's an inherent humility. We're talking about gospel wisdom. There's an inherent humility in the gospel itself. Where does the gospel begin? The gospel begins with God creates us and we screw up. We don't have the ability to resolve that relationship. The gospel involves, at the very heart, humility. The idea that we cannot save ourselves. Gospel wisdom lives that out on a daily basis. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Live your lives opposite of that. All right, now I'll try to get that out of your head. Let's move on. Um, verse 7. Get to the theme. Get to the theme of our verse, theme of our passage here. Theme of our passage in verse 7 of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Flip over to chapter 9. You see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a phrase and we start to see repeatedly throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, it's 110 times in the ESV you'll see the fear of the Lord. And that's not counting the fear of God or the fear of his name. It's the fear of the Lord, 110 times, 14 times uh, in Proverbs alone. Listen to how Solomon and the other authors of Proverbs address 
the fear of the Lord. Just listen to this. 129, they will call upon me, but I will not answer to them. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. Right? Kind of where we're going. The idea of fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. Chapter two, we saw earlier that that pursuit of wisdom, if you seek for wisdom like silver, you seek for it like treasure, well, the very, very next, next verse. If you search for it, wisdom as a hidden treasure, then you will understand what? The fear of the Lord. You will find the knowledge of God. Chapter 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. One may turn away from the snares of death. Chapter 15, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Chapter 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it, get this, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. We need satisfactory rest. You need rest satisfied. Begins with the fear of the Lord. Uh, chapter 22, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honors, honor and life. It's a reward for the fear of the Lord. Uh, Micah chapter six, another place we see the fear of the Lord. I, I, and I point this out because Micah chapter six is an interesting passage. It's a very popular passage. And I think it's a very centering passage. In this passage, you have the prophet asking um, what does the Lord require of you? Like, does the Lord want sacrifices? Does the Lord want this? Does the Lord want that? When you get to verse eight, uh, the prophet answers that in a very simple and a very plain way. Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three things. That's the verse we hear all the time. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, or love kindness, walk humbly. But the very next verse, the voice of the Lord cries to the city and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. The idea of what does the Lord require to you? To, do, to love justice, love kindness, uh, walk humbly with your God. And then the very, very next verse is, look, it is wisdom to Fear his name. It's like that's the overwhelming, that's the overarching idea of fearing your name. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord. Have you ever thought of fear of the Lord? We see that all the time. Fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Um, when we think of fear, we usually associate fear with being afraid of something, like a scary movie, a horror movie. Uh, we were watching um, NBA Finals this past week, and there was a, uh, a commercial during the NBA Finals for a horror movie, which I thought was a terrible placement. It was a very, very scary images. Well, I'm sitting there with my eight-year-old. We're watching basketball. And all of a sudden, this thing comes on and he's ducking behind the couch. And later on that night, he has nightmares. That fear, right? This, this fear of, of some scary image, okay? That's not necessarily what we talk about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. Although I, I suppose at some point, it's, it's helpful to be recognize that, that the Lord is, is big. We've been terrified of his power, right? But when we talk about the fear of the Lord, there's this, um, there's this picture of like respect. There's this picture of reverence. And there's this picture of awe. When we 
fear something, we have a healthy respect for it. We have a healthy awe for it. I think of like a sailor fearing the sea. It doesn't keep him from doing his job. It doesn't keep him from getting on a ship. But he has a healthy respect for it. So he knows when a, when a storm is coming up, he knows wisely how to handle that. Um, I think of like, going back to watching the NBA Finals, um, a healthy fear of Steph Curry's three-point ability. Matter of fact, I think a large part of the reason the Raptors won was because they, they recognized the fear of his ability to shoot the three from anywhere on the court. So what did they do? They responded to it. They, they guarded him closely. My son, who incidentally is 13 today, Rory, um, when we play basketball, he also has a shot. There's a shot that's on the baseline, probably about 15 to 20 feet out, that when he gets there, when he, when he gets the ball in that spot, he hits it every time. I have a healthy fear when he gets the ball in that spot that he's going to score on me. So what do I do because of that fear? I guard him. I don't let him get, I respond differently because of that fear, right? Now, if I catch the ball in the same spot, you don't have the same fear. And rightly so. You know, you can let him shoot it. He may hit one out of 10, but, but when Rory gets it, there's a healthy fear and that fear drives our response. Okay, so when we talk about fear of God, this is healthy respect, this awe, this reverence for who God is. Um, the best way I can show this is in the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, chapter one. Um, if you know the book of Jonah, Jonah is uh, a prophet. And God tells Jonah, I want you to go, go, go preach a message of salvation to, this, to Nineveh, to these people. And Jonah's like, there ain't no way I'm going there. I'm not going there. So Jonah literally goes the opposite direction. He runs away and he gets on a boat. And this boat, it goes out, this boat hits a, a storm and, and it's tearing the boat apart. And at some point, the sailors on the boat, they, they cast lot to determine what's going on, who, what, who brought this on us. And they ask Jonah, they find, it, find out it's Jonah. And they ask Jonah, and they say, who are you? This is where we are in chapter one. I want you to pick up with me. Chapter one, verse eight. The sailors, they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? Like, who are you? Why are you bringing all this on us? And Jonah says to them, he says this, I am a Hebrew and I what? Fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, some of you have a different translation of this. Some of you have the NIV version of this. The NIV version of this says, I am a Hebrew and I what? Worship the Lord. There's a connection between what we fear and what we worship. Lance this morning pointed out that, that what we fear is what we worship. About this Jonah saying, I fear the Lord. I worship the Lord. That's the same thing. The idea of fear. I have that awe, that reverence, that, that mind of worship. I have an understanding of who God is and who I am. And that relationship between though that leads me to orient my life in such a way that I worship him. 
keep going in this verse though, because this, this is interesting. Um, he said, I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid. That's the same word. Same word, family. Exceedingly afraid. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message says they were, um, they were frightened, really frightened. It's this idea of our perspective of who's God, who God is. That understanding leads to this, this healthy res respect, this fear. What were they really afraid of? The sea? The boat being torn apart? They were afraid of the Lord, right? There's this healthy, this understanding of, oh my gosh, what have we gotten into? We know the Lord. We know his power. We respect that. There's an awe. There's a reverence there. So then you know the story, right? They throw them overboard. And the sea calms. Respect. Our fear, we res the fear, there's a connection between your fear and our worship. So question for us this morning, worship. We talk about fear of the Lord, fearing the Lord, beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. All throughout, all throughout this summer, we're gonna be talking about wisdom. The core, the beginning, the building block, if you will, of wisdom is our fear of the Lord. And so our question is, how do we live our lives in such a way that we fear the Lord? Like this morning we worshiped. Could we, could we interchange our worship this morning with a, with a fear, with a reverence, with a respect for the Lord? Maybe, maybe. But think about the other parts of your lives. Think about this, when you're in, when you're in nature, Right? We're in nature. Can, we, can nature lead us to worship the Lord? Certainly. This idea of, a, of, a, of a, the fear of the Lord, the know that, man, God created all this. Um, I'm not a cat guy, but we have a cat. I'm becoming a cat guy. Because if you watch this thing, that thing's a hunter. Right? It is like at the back window and it, it knows where the birds are. Uh, I give it probably another six to eight months and we're gonna have a dead bird on the front door. Um, he's a hunter, he's, design, he's quiet, he's stealthy. Right? He can sneak out, he knows, he sees, he hears, he's attentive. When I watch my cat, there's moments where I look at that and I go, man, God did that. Like God built that cat in such a way, I think of like a lion or a tiger. This one is like a pint size, you know, puma or something. Um, like God made that. God designed that. Even things that are absurd, like a toucan. You think of a toucan's nose? One of my favorite animals at the zoo. I love to see the toucan. This is something out of like Dr. Seuss. But God made that. God designed that. That helps me. Nature draws me into a worship of the Lord because I see who God is. I see his creativeness. I see his ability to uh, just create a vast array. You look at the sunrise. You see him painting, right? What about nature? What about at play? When we, when we play in our lives, when we play, do we, do we worship the Lord through that? A fear of the Lord in our play. The idea that God creates enjoyment. God created pleasure, entertainment. Can that lead me to the fear of the Lord? At my office, hmm, I worship at my office. Can I demonstrate the fear of the Lord at my office? How about this? Book of Genesis, what's God doing? He's creating order out of chaos. 
my office, I'm a lawyer. I get to work with schools. I love, love, love public schools. Uh, love education. The idea of today, education, the idea of, of wisdom can be learned. This is right in my heart. The idea that um, we can learn, we can grow in wisdom. But the idea of this, God in the beginning, he created order out of wisdom. Sometimes that's what we do in our jobs, that work. That's why we get that sense of satisfaction. It's because God made us in his image. He implanted in us his qualities. I think God, when God creates, when God orders, that's a, that's a, that's a reflection of him, of who he is. So when I get to write a brief and write an argument and compose an argument, build, build a brief, build a, build a winning case, there's, there's something godly in that. The idea of that points me back to my creator. The fear of the Lord, I see it. God is doing this. God is ordering this entire world. When we're in charge, <laughs> do we demonstrate the fear of the Lord when we're in charge? Can we lead in such a way that demonstrates, look, there's a higher person. We are not the answer. We are not the be-all, end-all. We are not the supreme being of our life um, when we lead other people. How about when we're not in charge? Can we worship when we're not in charge by following, by recognizing that, look, the picture of leadership is a picture of who God is. It's a picture of the gospel, a picture of Jesus leading his church. Fear the Lord. Do we worship the Lord? Do we fear the Lord throughout the week? This has been my challenge all week. This week has been a crazy week for us. And I'm studying all week the fear of the Lord, the idea of, of resting and trusting in him, the idea of, of he is big, he's creator. Um, and this week has been crazy. So it's the idea of do I trust him in the little things, right? Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge of wisdom. Fear of the Lord reminds us we are not the most supreme part of our life. At the end of the day, do we live our lives? Do we live those areas? You know, entertainment, nature, work. We're in charge. Do we live those lives such as we are the supreme end of it? We are the supreme authority in our lives. We're not. Fear of the Lord reminds us of that. So the last little thing we need to go to is um, the, the wisdom of God is distinctly different than the wisdom of men. And we can so easily confuse those two. I want you to real quickly flip with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. So this is where we'll kind of land this plane here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul writing to a church. Church has a number of problems, a number of issues with it. Um, and listen to, what, listen to what Paul's writing to this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, he quotes Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? You go on to read through this passage, man, Paul's like attacking the wise. Verse 27, I kind of chuckle at, right? Consider your calling, that's 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise when you were called. And Paul said, hey guys, y'all are not wise. Y'all are dullards. Right? This 
Paul's attacking wisdom, it seems like. Or is he? Is there a distinction of what Paul's attacking? Start in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 6. Actually, back up. Chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, did did I not come proclaiming to you the testimony of... I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come with that wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in, not in wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He goes on to say that wisdom of God is Christ. There's a distinction between the wisdom of man, the wisdom of Christ, wisdom of God. So the challenge for us How do we model, how do we model godly gospel wisdom? How do we live lives, the skill of living a successful life? How do we do it in such a way that it reflects godly wisdom? Think about that. Think about about the heart of wisdom is trust. Who do you trust? What do you trust in? You know, this wisdom of man there's an inherent trust in our ability. Our culture today, there's an inherent trust in our ability to think, to logic, to reason. Right? This idea that we can, as science establishes what truth is. We're placing our trust in our ability to think and reason. There's something bigger than that. Something higher than that. We place our trust in a God who created reason, logic. We put our trust not in man who's fallible, not in man who can lead himself astray, but we put our trust in God who is a a strong foundation. Jesus would say, what does a wise man do? Builds a house on a, what? Rock by, what is he saying? That those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. The idea of following what is godly wisdom. So my challenge to you, what type of wisdom are we living? What type of, of fathers, what type of wisdom are we modeling to our children? Is it the wisdom of God? Is it the wisdom of man? Think about this. Uh, does it rely on you? Does it rely on God? Uh, when someone wrongs you, someone takes advantage of you, do we respond in such a way that, re- that, that relies on us? That I am the supreme part of my life. So if somebody wrongs me, then if I'm the supreme part of my life, I get to get back at them. I gotta go like make it right. I gotta get retribution. I get, to, I get to get a response from it, right? It's crazy. The wisdom of God is something different. You're, you're not the most important part. God is. And God says we honor him. We know that that other person is also made in the image of God. This idea of forgiveness, the idea of grace, is because we've received grace from God. That's distinctly different than the wisdom of man, right? When you've been wronged. What about uh, when you're making career choices? The idea of, of uh, uh, How do we base our decision to change a career? Is that based on me as the central part of my life? The supreme part? Am I looking to pursue my career? How can I get higher? How can I make more money? How can I be more successful, quote unquote? 
Then you look at the wisdom of God. How do I best serve him? How am I best orienting my life around his calling on my life? He's given me gifts. He's given me abilities. Yeah, he's, he's given me those to give him glory back. So how do I make career decisions that honor him versus honoring me? Right? Career decisions. What about um, in your entertainment? Like how do we in our entertainment make decisions that don't just honor me? Like I want to enjoy this. Like I just want to watch the game. Leave me alone. This is about me. Sometimes God calls you to say, hey, get up off your butt and go outside and play with your kids. That's, that's to me, right? NBA finals. I was like, man, I just want to watch a game. Um, in, our, in our entertainment, how do we best honor him? What are responsibilities you have? God calls you. How do we best honor him? Um, but this is the last where we land it. What about in your worry? Think about this. We talk about godly wisdom. The foundation of that is fear of the Lord. We, what we fear, we worship, right? How do we, what do we worry about? What does our worry tell us about who we fear or what we fear? Do we worry about our jobs? Do we worry about um, provision? Do we worry about safety, comforts? What do we worry about? Or do we worry about the things like, man, I just pray that God moves in the hearts and lives of my neighbors. I pray, my worry is that my, that my, my children will see or will not see uh, the Lord through our lives. What do we worry about? I will tell you that our worry, I think, is a very, very good indication of where our trust has been misplaced and where our fear has been misplaced. My, my desire for you and my goal for you this week as we pursue wisdom throughout this week and this summer is this. I pray that you pursue, pursue, that like actively seek out godly wisdom, godly gospel wisdom, not by trusting in your own ability. That's not what I'm talking about. But by trusting, fostering your fear of the Lord. As a result, I pray that you would engage the world around you with a reverence, with a respect, with an awe for who Jesus is and how Jesus loves and interacts with the world he created and the people around you that he created. It's my fear for, my, my, my goal for you, my desire for you, pursuing godly wisdom. If you will, let's pray and let's uh, close up today. God, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for the picture of godly wisdom that you put in Proverbs God, the challenge that you, you give us all to pursue you, to pursue wisdom, that in the middle of um, a world who um, orients everything in our lives towards them, towards us, towards our own comforts, our own security, our own success, God, I'm thankful for the reminder um, that, that you're bigger than that. God, I, I pray you would orient our hearts, help us to see you in a right perspective, help us to see um, you as the foundation of wisdom, the foundation of how do we live a, a godly, successful life? It begins with you. You are those building blocks. God, this week, give us opportunities to practice this. Uh, God, I pray you give us opportunities to fail so we can fail forward, so we can, so we can be drawn closer to you, so we can develop that fear of you, that respect, that reverence, that awe of you. God, challenge us this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.